I have a Mexican beverage. This I have a Mexican Coke. You know the only thing better than real Coke? Mexican Coke. In a glass bottle. I, who knows what I'm going to say this morning? And it's a big one. It's so yummy. Matt brought this to me early in the week, and I've been saving it all week. I had it hidden behind, like, rotten vegetables in the refrigerator so that no one would touch it. Yeah. All right. Is everybody happy? Everybody happy? Yeah. Man, was it worship good? Come on. It was a 45-minute therapy session. You did it, and it didn't cost you $200 an hour. All you had to do was be here and give your heart. That's all it was. Better than therapy. All right, uh, if you want to this morning, uh, why don't you open up your Bibles to Psalm 119. We're going to be talking about uh, sex and sexuality again this morning. This is the second week in what I presume to be a two-part series. Uh, Next week, Steve Pfeiffer is going to be here. We're super stoked about that. I do want to say one thing about uh, Steve coming next week. Uh, even though Steve's going to be with us next week, he's going to preach next Sunday, so I'm not going to preach. Um, and he's just, he is legit as the day is long. It's just like P. Ray was saying, uh, Steve and his ministry feeds 20,000 Kenyan kids every Sunday and keeps them in school and gets them an education. He also has these amazing um, mobile computer centers where, where African kids are able to learn computer skills and technology. And it's just really, um, he's a world changer. He's one of those people who, who, who brings kingdom solution where there is no solution, you know, where, the, where he finds the worst part in the, and, and finds a problem and goes over and he becomes a solution. So he's going to be here next Sunday. And even though Steve's going to be here, we're not going to take up an offering for Steve next Sunday. We're going to take it up at the end of the month when we do our regular least of these deal, okay? So I, we're going to bless Steve. It just won't be when he's here. We're just going to keep it on our calendar and then we're going to mail it to him, all right? Because he's on furlough. Awesome. All right, well, here we go. Uh, second week in our series here. I feel like I need to do a little bit of a recap. Um, so I'm going to try to be quick, but I'm not going to lie to you this morning. I have a lot to say, um, mostly because this is such a big issue. Uh, it's a big issue in culture, and it's a big issue at, at church. And so I feel like I have a lot to say, so I, just, I need you to just stay with me. Can you stay with me this morning? Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. All right, here we go. Um, yeah, in case you haven't realized it yet, sex is kind of a big deal. And in case you haven't realized it yet, sex is a really huge deal that, for the most part, isn't talked about in church. It's swept under the covers and put in the closet, and hopefully no one comes out of the closet, right? But a bing. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Um... But sex is kind of a big deal, and um, it's kind of a big deal for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is God made it to be a big deal. Uh, sex is a good thing, and one of the things that we looked at last week is when we were uh, looking at our passage in, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1. When God created Adam and Eve, he made them male and female, he made them in his likeness, and one of the things that we see is God makes, he makes, he makes man, he makes man and he makes woman, and he makes them in his image and in his likeness, which means they have the fingerprint and the indelible ink of the Father placed on them. It's irremovable. You can smudge it, but you can't take it completely off of anyone. And one of the things we see is that when God makes Adam and Eve and he puts them together, he blesses them. Imagine God, two people. He blesses them. It's his nature to bless. 
It's what he would prefer to do. It's the first thing that he does to creation. He doesn't curse creation. He doesn't judge creation. God's a blessing God. He blesses Adam. He blesses Eve. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. What is the implication? Have sex. Why? Because it's good. And it's part of the blessing of, of being a man. It's part of the blessing of being a woman. But one of the things we also notice in, in Genesis is that sex is powerful. And what do I mean by powerful? I mean sex is powerful because sex is so intrinsically related to our core identities. When we, when we have sexual miscues, when we have sexual blunders, perhaps sexual sin is perpetrated against us. Some of us in the room have been, have been abused sexually, and, and, and some of us in the room have made just really boneheaded choices. And when we make boneheaded choices, the problem with boneheaded choices or, 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 or abuse that's, that's done against us when it comes to sex, the real problem here isn't just the guilt and the sin and the shame itself. It's the after effects. It's, the, it's, it's, the, it's, it's what's get, that gets left behind. It's like, it's, like, it's, like the gulf, it's like the gulf right now, you know? It, it, you know? The well's been capped, but there's still millions of gallons of oil floating around in the water, right? It's defilement. And one of the things that gets defiled when we, when we start talking about sexual sin, the thing that gets defiled is our identity. Because maleness and femaleness is more than a gender. It's core to our, it's core to our identity. It's core to who we are at the very essence of, of a person. Like, I'm not just Adam. I'm Adam, a man. In my maleness, it can either be enhanced or it can be marred by my sexual proclivities. So everyone in the room has met someone who is talented, pretty, pretty, handsome, capable, able, fit in whatever good, whatever good adjective you want to put in. Every one of us has met someone like that, but their life is just on hold and they're unable to make forward progress. And when you get... When you get to digging around a little bit in there, you find out their life is frozen because of a sexual encounter they had, and it just stopped them in their tracks. Why? Because their identity got marred. So what do we learn from Genesis? We learn that sex is good. It predates sin. It predates the fall. There's nothing dirty about sex within God's boundaries. It's a good thing. We also learned that sex is powerful. Then we looked at another passage in, in Leviticus 18. And the thing that we looked at last week was is that sex is powerful. And because sex is powerful, sex requires boundaries. God, God says in, in Leviticus 18 and then also in, in Leviticus 20 and then three or four other passages in the Old Testament, he lays out some boundaries. And so just for instance, in, in Leviticus 18, I'm just going to paraphrase. God says, hey, you know, don't have sex with your close to kin. Don't have sex with your mother-in-law. Don't have sex with your aunt. Don't have sex with your uncle. Men, don't have sex with one another. It defiles you. It's detestable to me. Don't have sex with animals. And God just lays this whole list of things out. And we go, why is God laying out this list? He's laying out this list because sex needs boundaries. Sex is a treasure and it needs a container that, re- that is equal in relation to what's being contained. We talked about this last night. When we, when we begin to take our sexual desires, when we begin to act them out outside of God's boundaries, it's like hanging the Mona Lisa in McDonald's. It's like hanging the Mona Lisa in McDonald's. It doesn't fit. And one of the things that happens is this. When you hang the Mona Lisa at McDonald's, McDonald's doesn't become more special. The Mona Lisa becomes less special. And the thing that happens is after a while, the Mona Lisa will get grease all over her and there'll be fingerprints over her. And pretty soon, what was once a priceless treasure is utterly ruined. 
That's what we learned from Leviticus 18. And one of the things I didn't talk about last week, and I could feel it in the room, it was in the air, and I just didn't have time to go there, but it was, it was in the air. There was minds that were going to this, and there was probably even minds on the audio archive who were downloading it, because I could feel it on Thursday. It's my spidey sense. But people were probably thinking, dude, why are you talking out of Leviticus 18? Isn't that like the Old Testament? Adam, aren't you just... Ch- Adam, you're just trying to dig up the law and throw us back into the old system. And you're just trying to make more rules. You're just trying to throw the rules back on us. Dude, I'm, I'm blood-bought. You know, keep the rules away from me. Except, and I really want to deal with this because this is a really, really big deal. What was the Bible that Jesus read? <clears throat> it's not a trick question. hate trick questions now what was the bible that jesus read the old testament where did jesus learn about god's boundaries for sexuality specifically passages like leviticus 18 peter he's an apostle john he's an apostle What was the Bible that they read? Furthermore, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 17, he says, man, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to what? Fulfill it. Can I tell you something? There's something, there's a huge difference between getting rid of something and fulfilling it. Leviticus 18, it remains. Not only that, I want to go here as well. There's a really, really important passage, and you can write this down, and I want you to go read it this week, because it's really important. In Acts chapter 15, all right, Paul and his sidekicks have been out on a couple missionary journeys. And in the process of going out on missionary journey, and it also, this includes Peter. So Peter, he's out on, he's out on mission. Paul's been taking some wider missions with his sidekicks. And while they're out doing the work of the ministry, something bizarre begins to happen. And people who are not Jews begin to come into the kingdom. It begins first with Peter. Peter's at Cornelius' house. He preaches the word to them. In the middle of his message, the Holy Spirit falls on this group of Gentiles and they all begin to speak in tongues. Peter's like, oh my goodness, it's not just for us, it's for the other team as well. Paul goes out on a missionary journey. He always goes to the synagogue first. He'll debate with those guys. A few people will come to the Lord and then he goes and preaches in the public spaces. And Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, Greeks, Scythians, barbarians, everybody's coming into the kingdom. Now, this is what happens in Acts 15. They go back to home base. They go back to Jerusalem, and they give a report to the apostles and to the church there, specifically to James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's the head apostle in Jerusalem. They give a report, and they tell him everything that's happening. They say, guys, I think we may have miscalculated how big this Jesus thing was. It's not just for us. It's for the whole world. And they tell him, and the church says, you know what? We believe your testimony. This is true. We want to welcome in the Gentiles. And James says this. He says, we're going to welcome them in. But this is what we're going to say to them. This is James. This is Acts chapter 15, verse 19 and 20. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them three things. Number one, abstain from food polluted by idols. Abstain from sexual immorality and from the meat strangled by animals and, from, and by blood. Does, anybody, does this sound strange to any of you guys? 
It's weird. Okay, so James says, hey guys, welcome in the non-Jewish believers. We want to bring them into the, into the big C church. But here's the three things. We, don't, we tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols. That means food sacrificed to idols, sacrificed basically to demons. Okay? Abstain from sexual immorality and from the meat strangled by animals. Now, two of those are kind of strange. It's like food polluted by idols. We don't even have a concept for that right now. Okay? Um, but food polluted by idols would have been food that was, was sacrificed to demonic gods. And so it would have been very offensive to Jewish brothers. Not only that, but meat strangled, uh, strangled meat and animals with blood in it, that would have also been offensive to Jewish brothers. So what James is doing, he's saying, hey, tell the Gentiles to come on in, abstain from these two things, because it will allow for there to be fellowship between Jewish and non-Jewish believers, and we won't have a big fight on our hands. It's a way for us to honor one another. See that? What's the one in the middle? abstain from sexual immorality and when james gets up and says hey guys tell the gentiles to abstain from sexual immorality what is he talking about all of that stuff from leviticus where would his where would his um where would his mindset and his teaching and his admonition have come from it would have come from leviticus 18 so did god do no he didn't do away with that this is this is part of the remaining the remaining word of god to us it's for every people. It's for every generation. Hey, don't have sex with your mother-in-law. It'll ruin your family. Seriously. I had four things jump into my brain that I will not say. <clears throat> Now, let's get to where I really wanted to land this morning. It's Psalm 119, because I wanted to talk about this morning. And this isn't going to be like a complete or the only way, but I wanted to talk out of a few verses. Psalm 19, 9 through 16. I wanted to talk about how to keep our way pure. How to keep our way pure. Let's, we'll just, I'll read it, okay? You guys can either look on the big screen or you can look in your Bible. Either way, it's all good with me. Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches i meditate on your precepts and i consider your ways i delight in your decrees i will not i will not neglect your word let's just pray for a second because i feel like the the lord just wants to put a big download in the room father would you would you help me this morning and would you help us this morning hear your word Father, would you cause our hearts to be wide open to your word? Because your word is life to us. Amen. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? The first thing I want to say is this, is that this isn't just a message for young men, but this is a message for all people. 
And the reason that this is a message for all people is because we are living in a sexually supercharged society. Alliteration. English majors. Um, But we're living in a sexually supercharged society. And what that means is this. It means that that some of the... Uh, some of the things that even one generation ago that you would have to go and look for, now come and look for you. Like even a generation ago, if you wanted to go and, and view pornography, you had to go get in the car, take a trip to the rough side of town, and go show your face to people that you don't want to show your face to. Put your money down and grab it. Now porn- pornography doesn't work like that at all. It's, it's completely anonymous. Not only is it completely anonymous, it comes looking for you. We live in a sexually supercharged society. Not only that, we're, we're, we are a society where adultery is like as common as a cold. And it's catching. Like when people come and confess adultery to me, I'm not surprised anymore. By anyone. In fact, when people come and confess any sexual sin to me, I'm not surprised. I'm, I am no longer ever surprised. Ever. When young men come and confess addiction to pornography from me, or come and... Pre- confess addiction to pornography to me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised at all. I'm becoming less surprised when girls come and confess to someone here that they're addicted to pornography. It's a sexually supercharged society that we live into. Not only that, but homosexuality is no longer an aberrant lifestyle. It's an alternative lifestyle. It's a harmless selection in a world of varied Varied and equally legitimate choices. That's the prevailing mindset. Homosexuality, it's not aberrant, it's alternative. In a world where we just have different choices, you know? Oh, that's for you, this is for me. That's the kind of world we're growing up in right now. So Psalm 119, it's not just, it's not just a word for young men, but it's a word for all people. But I would like to note one thing, because I think it's important that the psalmist begins by writing to young men. And that word young there is kind of important because the choices that when we make when we're young tend to set the pattern for how things will go as we get older, okay? We, we tend to dig the ruts that we're going to drive our car in for the rest of our lives when we're young. And so it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a big deal. When a, when a person makes an out-of-bound choice with their sexuality at an early age, doors get opened, Okay? When you make an out-of-bound choice with your sexuality at a, at a young age, doors get opened. And I, I can just tell you from experience, okay, when, when certain doors get opened, it's incredibly hard to shut them. It's like, how many of you can unlearn something? Once you know it, how can you unknow it? And so when you open up a door, it's like, oh, my, it's incredibly difficult to get that door back open. And one of, the things, one of the things that the psalmist is telling us here is that it's easier to keep a door shut than to open a door and try to shut it later on. Because once something gets opened, it's just incredibly, incredibly difficult. And sometimes we don't even realize that certain behaviors are incompatible with the kingdom life simply because we have partaken of them for so long that we've become desensitized and our hearts no longer respond to the prick of conviction. And after a while, we just establish a new normal. Okay, this is a real. This is this is really, really, really true when it comes to sexuality. But it's actually true in all areas of our life. When I begin to say, "God, I know what you say, but I'm going to do my thing." When we begin to take that attitude, at first, 
there will be, it, will, it will pain us. And we will go anyway. And after a while, the pain just diminishes. And one of the reasons that the pain diminishes, it diminishes not because God has stopped pursuing. He actually hasn't stopped pursuing. But the human psyche is unable to continually offend God and stay in a place of conviction. And so we begin to divide ourselves. We take one step away from God, and pretty soon we establish a new normal. I've seen this happen over and over again. Sometimes, sometimes it's not even our own fault. We just grow up in a home where things are so toxic, and we don't even know it's toxic. It's like we live in a toxic waste dump, and we never knew that it was a toxic waste dump. We just grew there. You know, we ate our Captain Crunch, and it just happens to be that our Captain Crunch was served at the waste dump. And we didn't even know. And we grew up, and when we got to be 15 and 16, and the hormones kicked in, we started to do things, and we didn't even know that those things weren't okay. And so a new normal gets established from a very early age. Sometimes, sometimes we don't even know. And so the psalmist is saying, hey, young people, and this is, this is, this is not just for young people, it's for everyone, but it's especially for young people because the choices we make when we're young, they, they have such, especially with sexuality, when it's, sexuality is concerned, Oftentimes, our sexual choices that were made when we were young, they will have lifetime consequences. I really don't want to say this, but I really feel like I have to say this. Um, As a pastor of this church, one of the things I feel like I have to say, and I've never felt like I've had to say it until this year, just because of the way society has changed so much, but I actually feel like I have to say it now. One of the, um, and it's really a big deal. I have to say this to the church. I, church, you need to know, homosexuality is not okay. I know culture has told us that it's okay. It is not okay. Um, we're not about beating up anybody. We're never going to go there, you know, because people are just wounded in all sorts of ways. But one of the, one of the lies that's being perpetuated right now in, in culture is that homosexuality is just another choice. It's not another choice. It ruins people's lives. And um, in addition to that, the argument that, that a person is born a certain way completely misses the point because the truth of the matter is that the kingdom of heaven places demands on everyone's sexuality regardless of how it feels to me or how I'm convinced I was born. Let me put it this way. Sometimes homosexuals feel like, well, you know, I was just born this way, and so that validates my choices, okay? Can I tell you something? I was born a male with an if, if unchecked, an appetite that would like to have sex with as many women as possible. That's, this is pastor being vulnerable moment, okay? Left unchecked, my sexual desire, if it were to run wild, it, its desire is to have sex with as many women as possible that are not my wife. I was born that way. Yet the kingdom of heaven places a, a demand upon me to say no. Okay? Homosexuality is not okay. I, even if a person completely feels like they were born that way. The kingdom of heaven has a different path. And one of the things that the kingdom teaches us to do is, it says in Titus that there's grace that teaches us to say no. Like, people don't, that never gets taught in the church. Grace isn't just something that takes guilt and shame off of us, but it empowers us to live a new way. And so when the kingdom comes into my life, it, I, it empowers me to say no to the way that I was born and to live a new and better way. It's a really big deal. And sexuality that exceeds God's boundaries when we're young can deliver consequences that powerfully shape our future. 
Here's the good news. The good news is this, is that there's mercy, there's forgiveness, there's restoration in any kind of circumstance. But to treat our sexuality in a cavalier manner lacks wisdom and dangerously downplays the pain and the consequences that come out of it. Okay, it's a big deal. So the psalmist says, how can a young man or any person keep his way pure? The first way that we begin to keep our way pure is to actually want to keep our way pure. How obvious is that? Again, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Captain Obvious right here. The way that we begin by keeping our way pure is by wanting to keep our way pure. There's a really great proverb. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says, when there's a lack of revelation, when there's a lack of vision, the people, what? Cast off restraint. There's so much insight into this, and I wish we could hang out here all day, but we can't. Some translations, for that little phrase there, cast off restraint, some translations have the people run wild. And, and one of the ways, that we, one of the ways that, we, that we maintain purity is that we have a goal and a vision of our life that includes purity. If you don't have a goal or a vision for your life that includes purity, you will cast off restraint, and when you cast off restraint, you'll run wild, and you'll end, up, you'll end up being in situations and involved with people in ways that you never dreamed possible. So what's, what's the first thing we have to do? We have to get a vision for our lives. If you're young, it doesn't matter. Even if you're 45 years old and been married for 25 years, you need to have a vision for your life that includes purity. Because when I have a vision for my life, when I live from vision, what I end up doing is I'm able to say no. I'm able to say no to things that take me away from my vision. Can I tell you this? World-class athletes, they're all world-class athletes, usually not because they're the most athletic, but because they're the ones who've had the greatest vision for their life. Can I tell you something? Talent is overrated. Vision is not even on the roadmap for most people. To the extent that you have a vision for your life is the extent to which you can say no to destructive behaviors that destroy your vision. Most of the guys who play on Sunday in the NFL, they're not the most athletic guys at their school. But they were the guys who had a vision for their life and they could see themselves running for first downs when they were in middle school and they worked out when everyone else was playing Nintendo. And they ran when everyone else was talking to their girlfriend. And they began to train themselves into the kind of life that would lead to the vision that they could see at an early point. And so one of the ways that we, one of the ways that we live in purity is by being able to say, I need revelation. I need a spirit of revelation to come on me. And I need a vision for my life that includes purity. If you don't have a vision for your life that includes, includes purity, you'll cast off restraint. Talent is everywhere, and it's overrated. And then the psalmist goes on to say, he says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. So here's the deal, church. God's word and his commands, his instruction, his ways, they're pure and they're right. And they're a path for living in purity. Here's the thing I want you to notice. What the psalmist isn't saying, he's not saying, understand Bible concepts. It oftentimes starts with understanding Bible concepts, but the psalmist is not saying, assimilate and understand intellectually Bible concepts, it will keep your way pure. Understanding and assimilating at an intellectual level alone, Bible concepts will keep no one's way pure. What does he say? 
How can a young person keep their way pure? By living. It's, that word living is kind of a big deal. You might want to circle it. By living according to your word. What I end up doing when I live according to God's word is I assimilate it. I read it. And he's talking about actually reading the Bible, okay? I read the scriptures. I, I digest them. They're food for my body. They're food for my spirit. I don't just read them. I don't just digest them. But I take them in with a heart posture that says, this is the way of life. And I begin to apply those principles. It's not about understanding. It's not about creating a deeper stack of Bible facts. It's about creating a deeper experience of revelation with the Word of God and planning and charting my life out according to God's way. And it's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing lifestyle. And to forsake God's Word is to embrace pollution. See that? When we forsake God's word, we embrace pollution. Verse 1, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. To forsake God's word is to embrace pollution. See, I'm going to put it this way. See, God's word, the word that we find in the scripture, and the still small voice that's on the inside, it's not either or, it's both and, okay? This is a big deal. It's not just the black ink on the white page but it's also Holy Spirit on the inside. To, fors- to forsake God's word, either on the inside or on the print, is to embrace pollution because God's word is life. It leads us into paths of life. And I want to tell you something about who the Lord is because it's such a big deal. Sometimes we, we come to passages like this or Leviticus 18 or even message series like this and we go, wow, God is a mean person. Don't we? We have this concept of God. We have this concept of God. God is, we think, erroneously but we think this we think well god's the kind of person who knows that his best kids can only jump six foot high and then he puts the bar at seven foot high and tells everyone to try to jump over it and when they fail he laughs except that's not who he is at all that is not who he is at all god wouldn't god wouldn't make commands he wouldn't place demands he wouldn't speak his word to his to his people knowing that they're completely unable to keep it he wouldn't do it can I tell you something? God is a good father. Can I tell you something about my own, my own life with my children? I don't let my kids jump off the roof of the house. You know why? There's a smart person here who can tell me why I don't let my kids jump off the house roof. Because it would damage them. Right? They would break a leg, most likely. I mean, we have, we have, like, we have extra tall house. When Justin built my house, we just, we made it extra tall. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't let my kids jump off the roof. The reason I don't let my kids jump off the roof is because it would damage them. And so when God says, hey, sex is good. I want you to have sex, but I want you to have sex in these boundaries right here. He's not saying, here's the seven foot tall pole and I want you to jump over it knowing that you can only jump six feet. No, he's saying, no, if you don't, if you don't live within these boundaries, it's going to damage you. When you don't live within my boundaries, you're jumping off of a house. I don't want you to jump off a house. And it's permanent damage sometimes. So purity begins with loving his word, the written part and the still small part. And then verse 10, I love verse 10. The psalmist says, I will seek you with all my heart. So here's the deal. Purity isn't simply a matter of knowing a book. It's a matter of pursuing and encountering a person. It's a matter of pursuing 
and encountering a person. Part of my life vision is, is something that just it, it, it echoed and resonated in David. It's Psalm 27, 4. It says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. See, the pure path isn't the one that's walked alone, okay? He says in verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. It's part of, it's part of my life vision is to know God, is to know a person. I don't want to just have a relationship with a book. It's uh, so frustrating. I want to have a relationship with a person. And I have, in my life, I have, I have, I have fixed my life and I have, I have focused my vision toward knowing a person. And when I've, when I've, to the extent that I've done that, I've encountered him. And one of the things I want us to see here is that the, is the path of purity is not one that's walked alone. I will seek you with all my heart. Uh, the Lord says this in another place in the scriptures. He says in Jeremiah, if you seek me, you will what? Find me. It's, it's not a path that's walked alone. Like I, I know, I remember, I still know what it's like. You know, the path, the vision for living a pure life is not easy. It is difficult, okay? Because God has made every single person in here with a sex drive, and that is a good thing. But these boundaries are sometimes difficult, and I know what that's like. I have lived with it. I have, I have been there. I know exactly what it's like. But one of the things that the psalmist is telling us is, is that we're not, the path to purity isn't one that's walked along. It's God is with us. When we seek him, we will find him, and he walks along that path with us. He's, he, he's not a vindictive judge. He is a loving father who puts up boundaries that keeps his children safe, and he walks along the path with them. And then the psalmist says, Do not let me stray. So in this place of seeking and in the place of searching, there's a communion of fellowship and the Lord will guide his own. He will instruct us and he won't let us stray. When I stay around him, he makes me aware of his preferences. See, when I'm around the Lord, he makes me aware of his preferences. Remember back to the Gospels. The disciples are out with Jesus. They're on a ministry trip and the disciples get angry with some people living in Samaria and they're like, dude, Jesus, let's call down fire on them, right? They're going to exterminate an entire people group. They think it's okay. In fact, they have Old Testament precedent to bolster their position. I mean, Elijah, like, killed the prophets of Baal, right? Let's just do it. These guys are no good. Jesus says what? You guys are nuts. What just happened in that moment? Jesus, being with Jesus, afforded his disciples the opportunity to better learn his character and his preferences. See, the, the, the path of purity isn't one that's walked alone. When I seek God, I find him. And when I find him, he makes me aware of his preferences. Not only that, but he's, he empowers me to walk with him. Verse 11. Verse 11 is so good. Verse 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I, might not si- that I might not sin against you. See, here's the deal. Knowing God's word and being resolved to do it has radical ramifications. It actually keeps people from sin. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's like, it's like mosquito repellent. Only better because it doesn't stink like citronella and leave a greasy stain on your nice shirt. 
See, when we pursue God with our heart, we lay our paths open before him. And when we lay our paths open before him, we become changed. One of my favorite things about the Lord is this, is that he isn't just a creator, but he's a recreator. Okay? He creates the world. He makes it just right, and then it gets ruined. And then he sets, he sets along to make everything new. That's what he says in Revelation, Behold, I make all things new. It's not just that he's a creator, he's a recreator. Anybody who's ever been in construction will tell you it's way easier to build a new thing than it is to rebuild an old thing. But the rebuilt old thing is cooler. You know what I mean? You go in an old house that's been restored, you're like, this is so much better than my new house. The bones are so much cooler, you know? God's a recreator. Lazarus is just a dead guy in a tomb until Jesus shows up, you know? Recreation. Lazarus comes out, and the Lord's resurrected our dead hearts, and he's just, he's a recreator. And one of the things that I, that I want to focus here on in, in verse 11 is that the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart. When he says, I've hidden your word in, in my heart, what he, what he means there is, is that, that, that he has taken the word of God and he hasn't just made it an intellectual pursuit, but he has applied the word of God to his whole life, even to the hidden places in his heart, even to the dark caverns that nobody knows about, even, even the secret desires that, that no one's ever looked upon, that, that he has never spoken upon. That's what it means to hide God's word in our heart. It's not just to receive it. It's not just to read it. It's not just even to memorize it. It's more than that. It's to, it's to receive God's word and then go, I will live by this and I will apply it to the most dark cavern in my soul. The most secret and, and vile place. I will take it in there and let it be light. That's, a, that's something new. And it'll keep you from sin. To hide God's word in your heart, it's a determination that I will withhold no corner, no corner of my being from the instruction of God. Um, I don't know about you guys, but see, my father's words still echo in my head. It's really funny. Like, I'm 32 years old, and I still, most every single day, as I'm living life, I hear things my dad would tell me from the time I was young. Why? I've, I've lived with him, and in the process of living with him, I've learned his ways, I've learned his preferences, and I ended up hiding lots of my dad's words in my own heart. What are some things my dad told me? Let me see. Um, <laughs> stop. I know where you're going. Stop it. You're going to make me laugh. Um, my dad used to say things like, um, plain talk is easy understood. What, is it, what did my dad mean by plain talk is easy understood? He meant just when you're dealing with people, especially in business, just look them in the eye and tell them exactly what you think. Let's don't play games. Let's don't do manipulation. If you think the deal is no good, you tell them the deal is no good. You can walk away. Plain talk is easy understood. We're not, there's no, we're not going to do cloak and dagger. We're not going to do, do manipulation. We're not going to do bait and switch. Russell men, we don't do that. We just look you in the eye, and sometimes it's offensive to people because they think, oh, you're just being hard. No, we're not. We're actually, we're actually showing you kindness by, by paying you the respect to just tell you the truth. Those words echo in my heart. 
uh, some other things my dad said. My dad told me uh, a long time ago, he said, son, if you get lost in the forest and you can't find your way out, just burn it down. They'll find you. <laughs> Think about that. It's actually a good word. You get, you get lost in a national forest. My dad, he told me this. He says, look, if you're going to go hiking alone, he goes, you, he goes hey, you, you never really want to go hiking alone, but if you're going to go hiking alone, you take matches. And if you get out in the forest and you get utterly lost and you're about to die, don't worry. Find yourself a creek, set the woods on fire, they'll come looking for you. That's a good word. That might, that might save somebody's life. I could tell you a few more things my dad said that are absolutely hysterical. Awesome. Oh, man, I, I'd probably just end up offending somebody. I'll tell you this one thing. It's, it's borderline, but it's really funny. My dad told me, he says, Son, when you go in a bar, you don't ever drink draft beer. Why, Dad? Because you get it out of a bottle. I said, Why? He says, You don't know what's going to happen in there, and you need a weapon. Makes sense, right? Words to live by. The story that goes along with that teaching is awesome, and I'll tell you sometime when I'm not being recorded. receive God's word. We take it and we hide it in our heart. We, we, we give it access to our whole being. We say, God, I will withhold no part of my being from you. When we, when we begin to deal with the Lord that honestly, his, his words begin to reverberate in us and it actually keeps us from sinning. It's, it's a weapon against sin. All right, verse 12. Verse 12 is when, when things change here in, in the psalm. It says, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. So the first transition in verse 12 is this, that it isn't just about receiving the word of God, it's about speaking and declaring the word of God. I want you to look at verse 12. Teach me your decrees. Now look at verse 13. With my lips, I will recount all the laws that come from your mouth. What is the psalmist saying? Verse 12, teach me your decrees, teach me your declarations, and then what? Verse 13, I will speak your declarations. What does this have to do with purity? There is something about the spoken word that has power, and I have seen this in my life. We had a, we had a, um, we had a, a get-together at my house um, this summer, and there were 12 of us there, and we were having a wine night, and we were, eating good, we were drinking incredibly good wine, and we were eating incredibly good stinky cheese and crackers, and it was just like really awesome fellowship around our table, and right in the middle of it, I was just like, hey, let's, let's do this thing. I want everybody in here to just stand up, and I want you to just... Tell the rest of the group the secret dream of your heart. And when you tell us the secret dream of your heart, the rest of the group is just going to agree with it, okay? And we went one by one. And as we went one by one, there became an increasing aware of the presence of God in the room. It was ridiculous. It was, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my entire year this year. Presence of God filled the room. It wasn't like, it, it was thick. There was weight in the room. That's all I can tell you. Weighty, presence, Jesus Shaba, he was there. People get, just began to, and they began to just speak the truth of their heart without, 
without a sense of, of like editing. No one was editing. No one was putting like this false humility on it. They were just saying, hey, I, I want to do this great thing. We went around the room, and by the time uh, we got to the end, Richard, I think, was one of the last ones, and, and you guys know Richard Fogler. Richard says, in one week, I want to own that house right there. And he points out of my kitchen window, and he looks at the house across the street that was for sale, and he had just put in an offer, and he thought in his own heart that the offer was way too low and it was going to be rejected. He says, in one week, I want to close on that house. You know what happened? In one week, we closed on that house. Can I tell you something else? That put into progress events, and I can't even describe it for you, but events began to fall one by one, and of the 12 that were spoken that night, about eight of them have already happened. I will receive your decrees, and I will speak them out with my... There's something about, like, the spoken word that changes things. Declarations. In fact, in January... A handful of us, some really good, some of my very best friends, we're going to get together. We're going to Louisville. We're going to an incredibly expensive dinner at an incredibly expensive restaurant, the kind that you have to save your money to go. And we're going to, we're going to, drink, we're going to drink incredibly good wine, and we're going to eat steaks that are four and a half inches thick. <laughs> and this is what we're going to do at that dinner. We're having, we've already got it on the schedule. It's January 10th. We're having declaration dinner, and we're going to speak declarations of goodness and vision over our life for the next year. You know why? Because something happens when you speak it out especially when you attach it to your vision that comes from God. Transition. Lord, teach me your decrees. Why? So that I can speak them out from my mouth. That's not the only transition here. Look at verse 12 again. I want you to underline the word praise. Because verse 12 is like a massive transition. Praise. Now look at verse 14. I want you to, I will rejoice in following your statutes. Underline the word rejoice. I will rejoice following your statutes as one rejoices with great riches. What, what is he saying? Psalmist is saying there is joy in the journey. What kind of journey are we on? We're on a journey for purity. It feels hard. It feels difficult. It feels impossible. No. It's, it's actually, it actually is possible because he is with us and the process can have joy. That's a good word, man. Come on. I'm going to have to amen myself. I can feel it coming. But look at verse 14. I will rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. The psalmist is saying that there's, there, is, there is the kind of joy that comes from winning the lottery. Only it's better because it won't ruin you like the lottery will. I will meditate on your precepts. I will consider your ways. Verse 16, I will delight in your decrees. What happened in verse 12? This is what happened in verse 12. Two things happened. Number one, there was, there was, a, there was a transition, and, and the main transition here is from internal to external. So there's a, there's a transition from internally receiving the word of God to, to externally declaring the word of God. But there's also a transition in verse 12, and it has to do with joy, and it's, and it's this. It's that in the process of living a pure life, in a process of seeking God, and in the process of, uh, of the journey of knowing God, what begins as internal struggle will become a path of joy. There's joy in the journey. Look at that. Praise, praise, that's, that's joy altogether. 14, I rejoice 
as one rejoices in great riches, and I will delight in your decrees. See, God's ways are valuable, and they bring joy. And you might be thinking, well, what about the fact that it doesn't always seem like joy? And what about the fact that it seems like God's sexual boundaries bring me a lot of pain? And what about the fact that it seems like just to give in and live as I wish would be more fun? Here's what I want to tell you. That's an illusion. It is a mirage. It is a waterless oasis. Those thoughts are illusions, mirages, and waterless oasis. And it's evidence that what we need is mind renewal. And it's evidence that we're not thinking like God thinks. And we need him to renew our minds so that we have the same opinion about life that he does. Anytime I read the word of God and it becomes offensive to me, which actually is pretty often, anytime I read the, the word of God and it's offensive to me and it pricks on my heart, one of the things that's being pointed out is, Adam, you, you, you still have areas in your mind and in your heart that don't agree with me and you're not thinking the way I think. When I think it would be, it would be, when I think it would be easier, see, this is, this is how subtle it is. When I think it would, be, oh, it would be easier to just, you know, have a couple girlfriends on the side and it would be more fun. In the beginning, you go, wow, that's probably true. It'd be easier and, you know, have a couple wives. Couple in addition to the wife. Take that out six months. How easy would it be? Have you guys watched that show, Sister Wives? Holy smokes. Holy smokes. I feel terrible for that guy. It's the guy on, on TLC. He's got four wives. It's off the charts. No. See, when we, when we look at God's word and it, and it pricks our heart and we go, wow, I don't know about this. This doesn't seem... This doesn't seem easy. It doesn't seem good. It doesn't seem fun. What it's doing is it's pointing out to us that there are yet rogue areas in my mind and in my heart that don't yet think like him or agree with him that need mind renewal. Because what's the truth? The truth is, I can just tell you this without being too overboard. I love my wife so much more than I used to. Like when I got married to her, I thought I loved her. I bawled like a baby at our wedding. I mean, I... I was absolutely tear-soaked. Um, it, as soon as she came in, I bawled. I mean, I just loved my wife. And, and my, um, my tuxedo, like the shirt on my tuxedo was just soaked. I mean, I, I had a, Josh gave me a handkerchief. I soaked it in like 30 seconds, you know, because I just loved my wife. And that was 11 years ago. And we got married really young. And we've been married for 11 years, almost 12. I love her so much more now than I used to. I, I didn't even know who I was marrying when I got married to her. I didn't even know who that woman. I thought I knew that woman. We'd been together for five years. I, I didn't know that woman. And and when when we when we were first married, you know, I we I was like, dude, sex is amazing. No, you know what? It's so much better now. Can I tell you that this is this is the sort of thing that never gets said in church. Sex gets better over time. You don't want to. Who wants to relearn it with someone? There's hope. I felt the hope level just go up. No, after you've been married 40 years, you ought to be like sexually humming. (laughs) Come on. There's joy in the journey. I want one more thing and then we'll be done. And I know I've labored this. I just felt like it was so important though. Verse 15. Psalmist says, I'll meditate on your precepts and I'll consider your ways. 
here's one of the things that I found, and, and I've found by experience, that meditation is the pathway into joy. Meditation on the Word of God is the pathway into joy. And I have, this has been a slow process for me, and I've only, it's been really slow. I've, I've known the Lord most of my life, and I'm 32 now, and I'm only now beginning to open up and unlock the doors of meditation. Uh, but it, it is the pathway into joy, it is the pathway into life, and it's the pathway into revelation. Here's what I mean. Uh, an Eastern view, uh, an Eastern view of meditation is to empty myself, throw it a blank. A biblical view of meditation is to fill myself with the Word of God. And so what, I, what, what I've learned to do is, um, is just, I, I don't just read the scriptures. You, you guys would be very surprised, like in Pastor Adam's devotional time, like how little gets said in prayer and how little gets read in the scripture, okay? Now, I'm a borderline voracious reader and I love the Bible, but when it comes time for me to just connect with God apart from a, a sense of study, you'd be so surprised how little gets read. You know, I, I, I'll just read and, and when, something, when something hits my heart, when it, if, if I feel the pleasure of the Lord on any part of the scripture, I just stop. I don't, I don't go anywhere else. I, I just take that little spot and I get in my office and if you were to come into my office, this is what it looks like. I get in my chair. I've got a kind of a big like CEO type chair. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Kind of a Donald Trump chair, not going to lie. And I, get, I kick back in my Donald Trump chair and I lay my Bible on my stomach and I have my heater going and everyone's annoyed by my heater. But I don't care because it just makes the room right. And I, just, and I put my feet up on my table and I lay back and I close my eyes and I begin to just fill my mind with that part where I just felt the pleasure of the Lord and I don't even move off of it. And I just begin to repeat it to myself. Sometimes it's just my soul longs for you. Oh God, my soul longs for you. And it becomes a prayer, it becomes a meditation. And I just begin to, I just begin to let my mind run wild with my soul longs for you. My soul longs for you, God. I long for you. And, and I just begin to, I just begin to let, let, my, let my mind go anywhere it wants to when, with thinking about how much my soul cries out for you. And, and I, just, I just begin to think about deserts and, and how much they want the rain. I begin to think about how much a mom wants her, uh, wants her child. And I, I just begin to think about how much, a, how much a bride wants her bridegroom. And I just, just go into that place and just meet with the Lord. And it just grows, and the, and, there, and the Lord will show aspects of himself through meditation, just filling and filling and filling. And then a lot of times what I'll do is I'll put my Bible down, and I'll just get up, and I'll just start pacing around my office. Now, I pace a lot. So I just pace, and I just begin to fill my mind. I just, Lord, God, it's just my soul longs for me. And I'll even, if I'm here alone and I know I'm here alone, I'll just shout it. I'm like, you know, my, my soul cries out for you. You know, why do I shout? Because it's more fun to shout. I mean, if you haven't tried it, you should try it. Some of you are thinking, oh, that's just emotionalism. Well, so what? People are one-third emotions, and God made them. So what's wrong with that? Shaba. <laughs> since, I've in, since I've applied just meditation on the Scripture, gosh, the Lord has opened up fountains of joy, and He's opened up fountains of revelation. And one of the things that happens when we begin to when we begin to meditate on the scriptures is a spirit of revelation comes upon you. And this is what happens. What used to take 30 or 40 minutes of meditation to get in terms of revelation and in terms of presence of God and sense of just an awareness of his presence. What used to take 30 minutes, I can, I can read a passage sometimes one time and the Lord will give me an entire download on it. Why? Because the spirit of revelation came upon my life. 
came by meditation. What is the antidote for, for the, 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 uh, the waterless oasis and the illusion and, and the, uh, just the lie that the process with God doesn't always seem fun? One of the main meditation, one of the main, one of the main antidotes is, is meditation because it puts me in contact with his word and with his truth. Meditation allows his word to go from abstract concept that applies to other people to being a personal invitation that applies to me. Okay? Especially when it comes to purity. I and mean, it's why we need to just, we just need to meditate. We just need to have a vision, a revelation that comes from God. And we just need to meditate upon his word because things just get lodged in the heart. And when, when I have competing thoughts and feelings, I have something to fall back on. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team, I want you to come on up this morning. Yeah, why don't we stand up? Here's what I know, and, and, I, and I don't know this by any prophetic revelation. It doesn't even take prophetic revelation to know this. I know that with a group that's gathered this large this morning, I know that there are people in here who just who need the touch of the Lord to restore their sexual blunders and perhaps even, even sexual sin that's been perpetrated against you and against your own will. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure that there are people in the room who, whose hearts feel completely divided. And even as I'm preaching... Some of you have maybe even sensed like, like this, just a wave of condemnation come over you. And I just want to tell you, that is not the Lord at all. Um, that's just the enemy. Um, some, of, some other people in the room probably have a, a real sense of conviction. And here's how you know the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction points out your flaw, but it points out your flaw in such a way that you feel like there's hope for change. Condemnation says you're always going to be the same. That was worth a lot right there. If I wasn't a decent man, you should write me a check. <laughs> but there's a lot of healing this morning, and I, I know that the Lord has mercy for people this morning. You could be caught up in some stuff that you never dreamed that you'd be caught up in. And, you know, it, it, maybe it's ruined your relationship or your past or it even feels like it's beginning to ruin your future. And I just want to tell you, there is so much mercy from the Lord. He has so much compassion and kindness for people who are broken, but for people who come to him. Jesus says, for all you who are weary, what? Come to me. You know? Weariness apart from Jesus is just more weariness. All right? I'm going to pray. And if you need need help this morning in the area of just sexuality, man, we've got people here who want to pray for you and be an encouragement to you. Furthermore, if if you're just sick in your body, Uh, If you need encouragement in life, there are people up here, the ministry team, they just want to bless you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, I ask that you would speak to us on this area of sexuality. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be be so near to us, God, and that that we could just feel your your kindness and your affection for us. God, even in the midst of our pain, I ask that, that your kindness would just draw us back to you. 
God, for all of us in the room who have, who have just had sexual blunders, God, I ask that, that your kind touch and your healing mercy would just would touch everyone in the room right now, God. I ask that the pain and the despair that comes along with those kinds of, of failures, God, I ask that the pain and the despair that comes along with those, God, that you would just that you would heal them this morning and that you would that you would you would put an end to it today, God, that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a, a ghost that haunts us for the rest of our life. God, for those of us who just have a divided heart, we've never really acted out on anything, but we just feel tormented in our soul, God, I ask that you would bring, you would bring peace. And God, I ask that, that, that you would be uh, our companion in the journey. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you need anything this morning,